Hi, my name is Shannon Lee. And I'm Jason Otero. And you're listening to The Slapcast. Welcome, everyone, to episode 33 of The Slapcast. I'm back with Jason Otero, our Community Engagement Manager, and we are diving into strategies and tactics of servant leadership mindsets. I picked a mindset last time, vulnerability, offered up a couple strategies, so did Jason. We chatted about how to approach those strategies tactically, and today we're going to do a little bit more of that. But first, just a reminder, you can find this podcast Everywhere there's podcasts, we are at Relay Leadership on all the socials, and our email is slapcast at relayleadership.org. And my little puppy is just running around here, and it makes me a little nervous that she's going to tinkle on the floor. Um, she is housebroken, but you know, she's down here in a basement, so we'll see. In the studio. In the studio, sorry. In the, she's in, this, she's in the, the world, <laughs> the world studio headquarters yes. of Relay. Worldwide. Yes, worldwide, worldwide. Um, and then also just a quick reminder about my book, Servant Leader Mindset. You can get it on Amazon. And if you do that, the proceeds go to me. I believe in being transparent. Here's, here's the book for those who want to watch on a video clip. Um, but what I'd love for you to do is support Relay by purchasing it on our website. And 100% of the proceeds go to our nonprofit. You can do that at RelayLeadership.com slash Servant Leader Mindset. No spaces, 15 bucks. It's a bargain. Do it. It's a bargain. Do it now. All right. So you ready to get started, Jason? Let's do this. All right. Let's go. So last week I brought up the mindset of vulnerability. We talked about it briefly in terms of what I mean by that as a mindset of servant leaders. And then we dove into some strategies and tactics. This week, I thought we would do something really light. And I picked another mindset out of servant leader mindset. And uh, we're going to talk about the mindset of spirituality today. What do you think about that? Oh, good. A nice light discussion. Should be nice. Nothing too heavy. No strong opinions. No strong opinions. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to get dicey for some though, because spirituality can be a weighty term, mm-hmm. right? It means different things to different people. Some people it could be, you know, it could mean religion. It could mean even a specific religion. Others, it could mean something way broader than that. I don't know. What This one might be long. I'm hoping it's not. We're going to try to be concise, but because some people do not think the workplace and spirituality go together. If that's you, it's okay. You don't have to believe or embrace in this concept of spirituality to be a servant leader. So I want to make that clear. And I talk about that in the book that even though I believe that a mindset of servant leadership is spirituality, I don't believe that without that, you can't be a servant leader. Now, I'm also going to share my opinion right now. My opinion is that with a mindset of spirituality, the life of the leader is more, it's a more colorful path. But here's my caveat. 
I've never had an experience in life without that. So it's hard for me to speak from a perspective of someone who hasn't had some kind of spiritual influence in their life. And I just want to say that I recognize that, that I recognize that I haven't had that experience. And so therefore, it's hard for me to really know for sure that without it, that it's actually more colorful. I've known people that would attest to that, that have kind of made that transition in their life. But nonetheless, I do believe you can servant lead without it. I do believe it enhances your life and in, in your work, but because of the certain set of circumstances in my life that have led me to this conclusion, I recognize that that's not a shared experience of all. And that's okay. And that's okay. I do believe that there'll be something in this podcast for everyone wherever you fall on that continuum. Okay? And so what I ask you to do and what I challenge you to do is to just be open-minded enough to see that if anything that Jason and I share today could be said in different terms and hold still meaning for you, even though maybe the terminology or the nuance isn't what you would, the same words you would use. Is that fair? Do you think that's yeah, fair? Yeah, I think it's good. For some of us, when you hear this like term spirituality, you have this idea of like sitting on a grandparent's knee and they read from this holy book and you had this experience and this is what you believe. And for some of you, it's like, no, like spirituality was, you know, the encore when hollow notes came out and played, she's gone. Right. <laughs> and it was like, God reached down and touched solid, your soul. If you're into that, you know, it's a solid but argument. something <laughs> stirred and something moved within that at the very least left a curiosity and wonder. And I think this is kind of the path we're heading down today. So if you were like, turn off, you're like, I don't do religion. Stop. Wait, 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 wait. Hear us out. We're not going to talk about Here's religion. Out. Right. We're not right. going to talk about religion. Right. You know, you mentioned a concert. and I, My son's down here. He's he's here for a little bit because college is shut down. I don't even know if he can hear me right now because he has headphones on. But many years ago, we went to a Coldplay concert in downtown Chicago. And that concert, at one point, Chris Martin you know, magically appears on the other side of the arena in the crowd, right? With just his acoustic guitar and he starts singing a song and I start sobbing. And I've heard this song a hundred times. I'm a huge Coldplay fan, listen to them all the time. I would definitely describe that as a spiritual experience, but it wasn't a religious one. Mm -hmm. Music has a way of helping us, and maybe that's a great, that's a great, um, not visual because it's not a visual. Maybe that's a great example that a lot of people can connect to, which is the thing in music that we connect to that touches us even beyond our emotions that's greater than us. Maybe that's a, a, a glimpse of described spirituality. I don't know. Um, now, if you want to read more, I'm not going to go into what I think the mindset of spirituality is today. I'm not going to do that today. If you want to read about that, you can read about it in the book. There's a whole chapter on it. I talk about not only what I think it is, but what I think it's not. For example, I don't think it is religion, although I think for people, religion is is their spirituality. So it's I don't think they're mutually exclusive, but I also don't think one is a is, you know, predicated on the other. Um, So once again, before we offer up strategies on the mindset of spirituality in the workplace, let me say that spirituality in the most generic terms is, and this is hard to describe, it is the recognition of all that's real about you that you can't see, hear, 
touch, smell, taste, but you just somehow know it to be true. You know it to be real or you know it to be there. Your intuitions, your tendencies, what guides your decisions, your motivations. Yes, these all come from someplace like your upbringing, for example. But what I mean is your spiritual side is the part of you that's really hard to define that's both within you and it's also bigger than you. It's the you that is you. And I don't know how to describe it better than that. I don't know if you can, Jason, the... Who is uh, the inner compass? The inner the compass, soul, the yeah. um, the the driver. The there's so much there. Yeah, and it's interesting that while we aren't talking about religion, it's it's a difficult conversation to have without touching that nomenclature because it's almost like religion has stamped words as like being a part of this certain system. Um, and for some of the conversation, we kind of probably need to redeem and pull those pieces out of it and realize that there've been a lot of different experiences. You mentioned the concert. I look at, there's a story that I will never forget. I'm driving down the road in Southern Indiana on the way home. My son's three and a half years old. Um, He's not been taught what to believe. He's not been indoctrinated at this point. He's not even completely potty trained. But as we're (laughs) driving through the country, the rain stops and sunbeams shoot through the clouds and a three and a half year old, half year old takes a moment to pause as we're going down the road and just says, wow. And something bigger than him had taken place in his life. And so whatever, you know, down the road that would become or will become for him. I think that there are these moments where we can get in touch with whatever that is. Yeah. Um, and we know that it's there but we don't always know what to do with it. And what does that mean in the workplace? Mm -hmm. So that's why I chose this mindset today because I thought people might, it might be a stretch for some folks to think about spirituality in the workplace. Now let's think about the word stretch for a minute. To me, I want to think of this as a good stretch, a feel good stretch. So I have a bulge disc, disc in my neck. And one of the things that the doctor tells me is when it's acting up, I have this little traction machine that works with this pump. It like pulls your neck up and it kind of, it basically relieves the pressure on that, on that disc. And the more I do that, um, combined with some strengthening exercises, I reduce the pain that I experience. The key he said was you want to apply enough pressure because what it is, there's a strap that goes across your forehead and it kind of like, as you, as you um, hit the pump, it kind of pulls your neck up in a way. And so um, the idea is you apply enough pressure to get the release on the, or relief to the disc, but not so much that you're causing unnecessary tension. To me, that's like the perfect stretch that I want to create today for bringing spirituality into the workplace. And again, to be clear, we're not talking about bringing religion into the workplace. We're talking about bringing spirituality. So How do we strategize spirituality at work? How do we make this tactical? So the first strategy I want to offer up, really, I believe that as a leader, if you embrace this idea of spirituality in the workplace, I think because this is one of those things that is wrought with, as Jason said, just lots of terms that can be misunderstood or scary for people or polarizing, that it's something that you embody rather than you teach people. It's something that you operate in to create a culture of that is felt by others, but not necessarily directly taught to others. Whereas if I'm trying to, in the last episode, we talked about transparency. I could see sitting down with my team and saying, hey, as an act of transparency, 
let me coach you on transparency. Here's why, here's what I'm being transparent on. I encourage you to do the same. I could see that being a very overtly coachable moment, but with spirituality, if you're a leader who embraces these ideas or wants to learn more about them, I would caution you to not like force them on other people, but rather look at this as an opportunity to embody them for your own improvement and that other people then can benefit from that. So the first strategy is kind of long. I'm going to try to encapsulate this. I wrote it down. The short version is to build confidence by encouraging a non-reactive presence at work. So it's, it's a focus on building a non-reactive presence in yourself so that it creates an, sort of an environment of confidence in those around you. So I'm going to stop there. Um, well, let me add this. The key behind that is you're wanting to create an environment where you are seen as or, go, or you're the go-to person for really neutralizing issues in crisis. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Yeah. Like, think about the kind of leader you want to work for. Do you want to work for a leader that every time a crisis occurs or a drama occurs, they're just like, they fly off the handle and they're they're just unstable and they're they're just, you know, they're whipped in the wind by every little thing that happens? Or do you want to work for someone be led by those who, when something happens, are that cool, calm, collective presence that comes from within. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I know what I would choose. Right. I know what I would choose. And so for me, that is, it took a spiritual practice for me to develop that in myself. And, it, and when I say practice, I mean practice. This is lifelong, right? I haven't achieved anything. I'm just more calm. I'm more of a neutral presence now than I was five years ago, and hopefully more so in 10 years from now. So five or 10 years from now. So I'm going to stop there, Jason. What are your thoughts? What are, what are your reflections on this idea of building a neutral environment as, as a kind of a, an, an outgrowth of a spiritual environment? Yeah. So I think, um, this is a great point for a lot of us. We focus so much on our doing and what we have done and what we're accomplishing and our actions. Yet when we talk about spirituality, we seem to kind of take some of that framework a little more loosely and take it off. And so I think it's just important to encourage people with three letters, I N G who am I being and who am I becoming? Mm. Um, because for many of us, if we talk about spirit, we look backwards, right? We look at, you know, performance up to now, you know, how would I, because, you know, spirit, judgment, all these phrases we talked about that, you know, this isn't the discussion, but it's what, how we typically approach the situation. And uh, I remember as I was in one of my final classes in college, I had a professor that was talking about, um, you know, what's more important, you know, what you do or who you are, your being or your doing and <laughs> which is first and which is last. And he gave this um, scenario and for the, you know, this, the situation that I was in, we were wanting to be world changers. We had this plan of how we were going to make the world a better place and everyone was going to go into the nonprofit and many in religious situations, some in others, but, um, he kind of played out this scenario. He's like, well, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to get out of here and I'm going to start this thing and it's going to get this. Well, then what? Well, then I'm going to get married and then I'm going to have a family. Well, then what? And he just kept going on and on and on. And finally he left us at the spot where he said, 
And when you're elderly and you're laid up in your nursing home and you can no longer even get yourself to the restroom, will it matter what you're doing or is it going to matter who you are? And you just watched all of us as seniors like, I spent all this money and I didn't even learn this lesson until the last month. Like just blowing our minds. But I think for a lot of us, it's this question of being. Um, and it is a challenge and it is ongoing. So give yourself some space to explore. I think that is so very important in this conversation. So my first tactic on being a neutral presence is going to be super simple. And I take it from thousands and thousands of years of research, gurus, both religious and secular leaders alike. And that is when something occurs where you feel an initial reaction as a leader. And that, what remember what the difference between a reaction and a response chemically. A reaction is immediate and it's usually adverse, right? When you go to the, if you have to go to the hospital, God forbid, you go to the hospital and they say, Jason's having a reaction to this drug. That's not a good thing to hear right? What we want to hear is Jason is responding Mm -hmm. to the drug, right? A response is slow and gradual, and it is progressive. A reaction is fast, and it's extreme, and it's usually destructive, okay? So if you notice in yourself as a leader, you're having a reaction. It's sudden, it's caustic, it's negative. My number one tactic, and I swear by this, is to Take deep, slow breaths that are not your normal breathing pattern. Why? It signals to your body. When we feel anxious, anxiety is a actually anxiety itself, people think of anxiousness as a as an emotion. Actually, anxiety is a physical response to fear or uncertainty. So fear is the is the emotion. Anxiety is the physical response. So it takes a physical remedy, if you will, to deal with anxiety. And so the first thing when we're feeling anxious, um, and there's probably plenty of people listening that aren't technically leaders, but anybody. So whether you're leading or not, you're having a reaction, your body is telling you danger, you know, by stopping and taping, taking deep breaths, what you're doing is you're signaling to your body to move into a different thing. You're saying, nope, we are, going to, we are going to stop and do this different thing now. Even as I slow down my speech, it moves my body into a different thing. And so when crisis hits and we react emotionally and therefore something happens physically, breathing deeply, even if only for four or five times, can slow this response down. And I think that is like the number one thing. And here's here's the thing with that. So let me relate that and then I'll be quiet and get your thoughts, Jason. If I decide, which I'm not going to decide to do this, which is to pick up a barbell and start getting big biceps. I'm not gonna do that because I hate working out, okay? So, but let's say I wanted to do that. I work out as much as I need to to stay, to keep my muscles healthy. But after that, I'm like, eh. <laughs> I used to work out six days a week, but anyway, taco Tuesday. taco Tuesday, it is taco Tuesday. So, but I know you work out, Jason, the first time you pick up a barbell, the first time you grab a straight bell and you do not a straight bell, a straight bar, <laughs> a kettlebell, whatever. 
the thing that's heavy. Um, the first time you pick it up, do you expect to have bigger quadriceps right, the next day right. or a big bite? No. Is the first time I slow down my breathing, do I expect to now be this guru of calmness and neutrality? Mm -hmm. Absolutely not. But the more you think of it and the more you do it, it then becomes a, a skill. It becomes like a muscle that you strengthen over time that eventually the next time crisis hits or someone walks in your office with drama or the next time the big something huge happens in your home life that you're not re you know you weren't expecting eventually down the line your first response is going to be a non-reactive response now non-reaction doesn't mean you don't care non-reaction is we want to get to a non-reactive place because it's better for us and it's better for the people around us that we lead from that place. And so it's not that I'm trying to say, well, just breathe deeply and everything will be fine. No, what I'm saying is it becomes a practice. It becomes a practice. And you can do it while you're talking to someone. You can just start taking slower, deeper breaths. And some people call it a four, eight, seven, in for four, hold for, or is it four, seven, eight? In for four, hold for seven, out for eight. There's lots of different ways to approach it. The idea is to slow it down intentionally and to do that for, you know, three to five breaths or something like that. So that's my first tactic. I'm going to stop there. Do you have any experience with breathing techniques to kind of slow things down? Um, I will say this. Had I valued a practice like this um, <laughs> right out of college, I would have avoided a lot of pain. Um, and, you know, I think another thing to keep in mind, too, is for some of us, when we look at our, even our temperament and our makeup, I am ready, fire, aim. Like, in, in just Dude, about I'm everything. I'm with you on that. And so it <laughs> makes it even harder. Like, I have to place an even higher priority on it. Um, but I have experienced the pain of not taking time to embrace, Hey, here's what is happening. Slow down. Don't just react. Um, right out of college, I was put in a place to lead this organization for like a turnaround. Um, it was on the brink of closing. This organization wanted to invest in it and bring in a young guy and, um, what, what I didn't realize was that some of the short-term gains of reacting quickly would have long-term consequences. Yes. And you fast forward almost three years for me, I was burned out. The organization had experienced some growth, but culturally had not shifted at all. And I found myself feeling completely alone. I wasn't leading anyone. I was taking a walk. Um, no one was following that leadership. There wasn't engagement there. And I think what had happened was I was living um, reacting to each moment swiftly thinking that I didn't have time to pause. Yeah. And while there may have been some good things come out of that and definitely some painful, but valuable lessons, had I slowed down a little bit, um, the impact on people and the organization would have been different. I know that it was a humbling experience, but slowing down, pausing, and even just in the moment of breath can make all the difference because if you're like me, it stops you from talking at the very least. <laughs> Which can be a good thing. <laughs> well, we have some similar experiences. I had my first uh, leadership experience at age 28, so just five years after college. And and I talk about this in the book. I ended up in charge of almost 30 teachers, 400 students in elementary school. And having the answer and having the right answer and being able to react quickly in crisis and as you can imagine, in a school setting, there's always something going on. 
it was almost encouraged and rewarded. And I would echo exactly what you've just said, that even though in the short run, it might have, I might have had some short-term gains, but in the long run, it cost me everything. And, um, and it didn't, it didn't build the followship that I sought. It didn't uh, increase my self-confidence. It didn't give me what I thought it was going to give me. And I too did not know any of this. And it's, I wasn't pausing to say, who am I being and who am I becoming yeah. as I'm leading? Um, the optics were great. This young guy that's leading the organization, he's working so hard and he's never taken time off because he's so obsessed with this and passionate. And the word passion was thrown out a lot. Oh this is, we have to be so careful with this. We think about our spirit or spirituality or whatever you want to call that, that the word passion could really literally be toxic behavior without any checks and balances that lead to devastating consequences. There are burned out leaders that you may be working with in your organization that at one time were great to be around (laughs) (laughs) and and they just don't have it in the tank anymore. They don't even know it because they reacted so long thinking that that pedestal model of leadership would eventually reward them Mm -hmm. for that reactionary approach and activity is not the same as development at all at all that's why I don't run I hate it my body doesn't (laughs) respond well to it and I'm going to quit it eventually but it's it looks great looks great for the gram you know (laughs) (laughs) speaking of gram if I run a lot I'm going to eat like a ton of golden grams I get really hungry from it I know that's why I don't run because it makes me hungry it just negates everything I just did well I want to make sure we put a pin in passion that's going to come to my next strategy Um, but so I don't want to go into that now but let me just say this I've said it before on the podcast I've talked about it before in in workshops. I think passion is so overrated. Everything from high school counselors told us to be just find what you find what you're passionate about, man, and you'll you'll make money for life. No, passion is overrated. I do think it's important, but it's not it's not the kind of importance that we were sold. It's not what we were sold. And to your point, people throw that word around so much that they see fervency and activity as passion when really what you're looking at a lot of times is a scared leader who's afraid of making a mistake and they are really unhappy and burning out. So um, if that's what passion looks like, no thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what it looked like for me too though. That, and I really believed that. I really, really believe that. The only other tactic I came up with, and again, I'm open to your ideas as well. Um, I was trying to think of the top two for this one because I, I don't want to make spirituality in the workplace overly complicated. So that's why breathe was my first one. I don't think that's too complicated. I think everybody can do that regardless of where they are in that spirituality continuum all the way from, I don't think there is anything spiritual in life to, you know, um, you know, <laughs> I think we can all slow everything down with our breathing. The other thing I think everyone can engage in that I believe is a spiritual practice is curiosity. Now you might say, well, Shannon, how's that a spiritual practice? Well, it's a spiritual practice because curiosity, genuine curiosity causes us to suspend judgment. So go back to that crisis situation. Go back to your, you know, your first, that first experience that you, that you had that you mentioned to us. And think about if you could slow down long enough to ask what questions instead of why questions, right? Because the passionate leader is like, well, why didn't this happen? And why did that happen? And we're looking for someone to blame. And I guess, guess what? It is not as sure as shit is not going to be me to blame, right? Because I'm the leader and I don't want it coming back on me, Mm -hmm. right? But 
Instead, when we slow down with our breathing, get neutral, depersonalize it, we can then start asking questions that allow us to suspend judgment long enough that we can almost get scientific. I think it's more spiritual, but we get scientific about the crisis, scientific about the process, where we go, this is interesting that this is happening. Even down to, this is interesting, I'm afraid right now. Mm-hmm. There's a huge difference between being afraid and reacting and being angry and being afraid and going, huh, wow, Shannon, you're afraid right now. In fact, I've noticed you've been afraid the last three days. What's going on? Mm-hmm. That we get good at asking questions about our emotions. And then when we leave room for that in ourselves and we give that to ourselves, then when I've got someone across from me, not you specifically, but if someone comes to me and, and has an issue, I can go, that's interesting. How are you feeling about that right now? Why do you think you're feeling that way? Tell me more about what happened. What are you afraid of? We're getting to the core of who that person is in that crisis versus the crisis itself. And that alone neutralizes it. And again, to me, getting back to the spiritual practice of, of remaining neutral starts with our breathing. And then the next step is getting curious and asking better questions of ourselves and of others. Mm-hmm. Any anything you want to add to that? Well, I I would jump in a little bit on what you were saying about just even the breathing. I know that we're we're past that, but for each of us, you can find a rhythm or an environment that piques that curiosity, um, a discipline, if you will. Although that's another word that is so vastly <laughs> abused when we're talking about spiritual world. Um, Taking a five minute, so so a new thing for me with the new like staying home, this quarantine, I never was a walker, go out for a walk. I'll go for a workout. If we're going to go do something, are we hiking somewhere? Where's the destination? But five minute walks around the block have given space and perspective. Now, did you not like the space before? I think activity kept me distracted. Okay. Um, that's what I was wondering. Cause that's the same for me. Yeah. And so, um, I think the reason what you're saying is so powerful. We see this play out in behavioral health all the time. Good counselors are trying to develop, um, clients to a place where they are learning to counsel themselves through difficult situations. If you've ever been in a situation in some cases, if it's a crisis, um, that, that brought you into an office or into an appointment and over time they begin to ask questions and you find that you're needing to be led less, um, as those appointments may go on, that you're learning to explore some of those spaces in and of yourself. And the most rewarding thing that you can experience as someone counseling or leading someone else is when they discover an aha moment where their curiosity leads them to a place of um, discovery, development, healing, um, awareness. But without curiosity being valued and invited into that process, people are being handed an approach. Um, And I don't think that that will sustain. And as a leader, you can use that approach without actually telling someone, this is the approach I want you to take. Right. You know, you can model that approach. And I think leaders really underestimate the influence they have just with their behavior, with their, without, there are many things we do as leaders where we overtly coach and overtly teach and direct, for sure. I think what we communicate outside of those times is just as powerful, if not more powerful, when it comes to things like this. How do we show up 
when there's drama, when there's crisis. I was hearing a couple leaders talk the other day. We were kind of chit-chatting on a, a Zoom, just a bunch of us nonprofit leaders. And, and one gentleman said, you know, I don't know what to do. All these employees keep coming to me with all this drama, and, and I, and I want to remain neutral, but I feel like that they won't feel connected to if I don't dive into the drama with them. Hmm. And so we were kind of brainstorming on that, and I brought up this point about neutrality that that – we don't want to view neutrality as being uncaring or unfeeling. At the same time, we don't have to set ourselves on fire to keep everybody else warm. And so instead, can we ask better questions and start modeling? Have you ever been around someone that you're just like, you're being goofy or kind of like maybe even super emotional or ridiculous or whatever, and then they just say something that's so wise that you're like, oh, oh, yeah, wow, that's, wow, okay, I'm going to like... I'm going to slow my roll right now. You know what I mean? And, and it's nothing that they had to teach you or tell you. It, it, what You weren't ashamed. All of a sudden, you just realized that the way that person was showing up, you're like, that's I want to be like that. Mm. that. I want to be that peaceful and that centered. And I think that breathing and asking truly non-judgmental and curious questions really can kind of create that for you as the leader, and it can create the culture that you want without having to overtly teach it. Yeah, I think um, when you are engaging with this mindset of spirituality, so let's let's go to the example you gave of you're in this conversation with somebody and maybe it was an appointment or a meeting and you're like, are they even paying attention? Are they that engaged in this conversation? And then they just kind of drop a bomb on you that's like, that person is so present and awakened in the moment. And yet I feel what exhausted. And I think that that emotional exhaustion or whatever that is like deep within you of like, why is it so much work for me to get to that place is a sign that you've replaced spirituality with activity. Mm, um, I think good. that the fatigue is an indicator that we're out of touch with that. Why? Because if we are in touch with what makes us, us that deep, uh, being within us, whatever is driving that, then we don't have to have the next five steps figured out. And we also don't have to live so harshly against ourselves. We can genuinely be present in the moment. And that's what's happening. Uh, leaders that are in touch and engaging spirituality mindset don't need to be 10 steps ahead because they're really okay with being in the moment because curiosity says that there's something powerful that can happen in this engagement. And so um, I do remember moments where it felt when times when I'm out of step with this is much more exhausting. Mm -hmm. You have to work rather than just experiencing what it's like to be present in that way. That was so good. Yeah. That was so good. I hope you sound like that, Jonathan. Well, I'm ready, fire, aim, and I don't know what I just said, so hopefully... (laughs) No, that was super good. That was super good. So the second strategy, this one's going to get even a little more tactical. I'm a huge believer that, and some will say this isn't a spiritual practice, but I believe the creativity involved is what makes it spiritual, and that is that painting a clear picture for people of how they're their skills, abilities, passions, their talents, their job responsibilities, how all of that relates to something bigger than themselves. Now, bigger than themselves might be the department they work for. It could be for the entire organization. It could be to a worldwide impact, okay? But the idea that I'm trying to get across is as a leader, 
with this spiritual mindset that you see it as your role to help paint that picture for those who work for you so that they understand that, let's say someone's job is TPS reports, right? That they don't see their TPS reports as just a report that they complete every week for you. That they see that as being connected to, at the very least, what it accomplishes for you and your job as the leader, but even even more powerful if you can tie it to the mission of the organization and how the organization is impacting the community or the world or other people or whatever. I think the bigger we can draw that connection, the bigger we can make that, what I I call in the book, a higher purpose, the more effective it is. In fact, Dan and Chip Heath wrote a book called The Power of Moments. And in that book, they cite a study by Carolyn Wiley. And this study looked at 5,000 employees. And this is where I'm going to tie back in passion that you mentioned. It looked at passion and purpose. Passion being, I love my job. Or low passion being, I don't love my job. High purpose being, I know why my job's important and it's tied to something bigger than me. And low low purpose being, that's high purpose. Low purpose being, I don't understand how my job is connected to anything higher to me. And that's the person that thinks, I just do my TPS report and that's it. And it, like everything else is meaningless. I don't even know why I'm here, right? And interestingly enough, the people who had low passion, okay, so they don't necessarily love their job. They don't necessarily love doing TPS reports, but they had a high purpose. 65% of them were high performers, Mm -hmm. which they were only outperformed by people that have high purpose and high passion, which is not surprising, but not by much, Mm -hmm. only by 15%. So what's interesting to me is in that same study, they found that people with high passion Remember what I said, how we've all been told, go do something that you love, but the high passion people who have low purpose, only 20% of them were high performers. Mm. So passion does not equal performance. And here's what's interesting about performance. We human beings, most of us, generally speaking, like to know we're doing well. We like to perform well. And so if we're performing well, we tend to be more engaged at work and we tend to have a better outlook on life and Mm -hmm. we tend to be happier outside of work. We tend to have more what they call, Gallup refers to this as satisfaction ratings, higher satisfaction and higher uh, engagement ratings. By the way, satisfaction and engagement are not the same thing. Nonetheless, folks who are high performers tend to have the highest satisfaction and the highest engagement ratings. So I could really not love TPS reports, not love the mechanics of my job, but if I see why it's important to my boss, to my CEO, to my community, I'm 65% chance of being a high performer, which it dramatically increases my chance of being, you know, a satisfied worker and being an engaged worker. Now for me as a leader, That is a noble spiritual practice for me to help that TPS report maker to see that connection because I want them to feel, I don't want them just to perform well so that I look good. I want them to feel good coming to work. I want them to be engaged. I want them to be satisfied. Yeah. Because it's better for everybody. And to me, that's why it's a spiritual practice. Now that some people might say that that's a stretch, but really connecting people to that higher purpose 
it takes a creativity and it, it and I think it takes a leader seeing a connection to something bigger to having that connectivity in all things themselves. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, am I am I stretching this too far? No, I think what you're saying is the secret sauce is actually caring. And that's why there are organizations left and right that over the last 20 years um, were, you know, viewed in this light of being, you know, excellent, great and large. And millennials and Gen Z are leaving in droves and the companies are folding like lawn chairs because (laughs) they, they don't reflect a compassion and care for the individual, their soul. And people are saying, you know what? I'll take a 20% pay cut so that I can spend an extra week a year doing this thing I care about internationally or this cause. Where if the servant leader, on the other hand, takes the approach of saying it actually matters that I do the work of creatively exploring what makes this person tick, not because we have an issue with a margin here, but because healthy leaders care and engage the soul, um, you see a drastically different outcome. And um, this is why, you know, we're in the space that we're in is why Relay exists is because we believe in connecting the heart um, to the individual for the leader caring enough to be vulnerable enough to explore this space. And we believe that when people are aligning um, this piece of the puzzle with it, um, it, it takes more work than many organizations, many companies, and many leaders are, are willing to invest, but it is worth it in really the long is. run. It's like an awakening. Yeah, because it's an awakening. effective leaders um, have a lasting impact. Like there has to be a longevity with this. And so um, that individual, if you really explored this space and someone that you know engaged all of this leaves your organization in two years, but you did this effectively, I assure you that it has a lasting impact in who they are and how they lead and how they show up. And one day they might be in a seat just like yours. And so it does matter. It does have a, a lasting impact. And I guess that's why it's spiritual to me. Because it touches on the thing that can't be measured. It it, it touches on the thing that when I connect to something higher than me, and some people might say that higher than me is a deity, it's it's the universe, it's something religious, others may not. But when I can help connect that for myself and for others... I infinitely create a better experience for them. Now, I do believe there are probably employees everywhere that maybe they don't care about that. They don't believe that they need it. And if that's how they feel, that's great. But Gallup tells us and the research tells us Mm -hmm. that engagement improves, performance improves, satisfaction improves when we can do this. And not everybody's going to go on that journey with us as leaders. Not everybody is there going to be plenty of people who say, Listen, I just need to come in and mark time and do my work and go home. I'm here for the paycheck. And, the, and that's fine. That's fine. But for the vast majority of people who want to connect to something bigger than themselves, mm-hmm. that's the job of the leader to do yeah. that. And I do believe it's a spiritual practice. Yeah. 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 Preach. Cool. <laughs> Deep, man. Listen. Thanks for engaging with us on these two mindsets. We talked about vulnerability last time, spirituality this time, gave you guys some tactics, some strategies around these. Let us know what you think. Reach out to me at slapcast at relayleadership.org. I'd love to hear what you think or leave a comment on Facebook. We'll, We'll post these on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. If you want to engage with us on an ongoing basis, a lot of the things we've been talking about these last two episodes, we actually coach on. 
We coach people. We get people on a Zoom call, a conference call, and these leaders bring issues to the table and, and they ask us for input and coaching on how can I have more of a servant leader mindset or what are some tactics I could use to more embody servant leadership. And we coach them on this and we do this through our subscription program. And if you want to learn more about that, there's something available for everybody that ranges from you know, just making a monthly donation to Relay all the way to getting coaching and video learning libraries. Um, you can find out at relayleadership.com slash subscriptions and you can sign up and there's there's subscriptions for individuals and also for organizations if you have a team or a large group of people. So thanks again for joining us on the Slapcast. Until next time. <laughs>